On today's Locked On Thunder podcast, we're diving into the Oklahoma City Thunder earning a season sweep of the Cleveland Cavaliers. What went right for OKC? Chet Holmgren, Kaysen Wallace, SGA, and the rest of this Thunder roster was thriving, but Josh Giddy got benched down the stretch. We'll talk about it all coming up on today's Locked On Thunder podcast. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder Podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team's every day. I am your host, media member, and editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LLThunderPod. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Email the show, LLThunderPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for making us your first listen. Every single morning, we're here for you talking Thunder basketball. You can join the Lockdown Thunder Insiders Club with subtext.com slash Lockdown Thunder. On today's show, brought to you by Jace Medical, we're diving into the Thunder sweeping the Cleveland Cavaliers this season. Chet Holmgren, he's a problem, folks. SGA returns to form. The Thunder did a great job defending Donovan Mitchell, and Josh Kitty was benched down the stretch. Today's show, again, is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when purchasing a Jace case providing you with the personal supply of five antibiotics to treat 50-plus infections. Get yourself today a, a Jace case at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-C, medical.com. So in this game, the Thunder turn around. They play the Cavaliers again. And so, of course, interconference matchup, only going to play them twice. They've already went to Cleveland. They won that game in Cleveland with a 10-point comeback in under two minutes. And in OKC, they were able to beat Cleveland as well. In this game felt a little different than, of course, the one in Cleveland because in Cleveland, uh, the Cavs didn't have Allen or Garland. They could get both of them back. And so these two teams were fairly healthy. The only players that were missing, and, and no offense to Ty Jerome or, or, or Amani Bates or whatever, but the only two players that were like missing was Isaac Okoro for the Cavs and Kenny Hustle for the Thunder, both important rotational players. But all in all, in the grand scheme of the NBA, when you're going to have guys on the report most nights, like this was a pretty healthy night for each team. So Lou Dort was listed as questionable. Uh, he ended up playing. He didn't feel great at shoot around in the morning. Then he worked out pregame with David Akinyoye and he felt ready to go. Uh, and so they played him and he played really well. Uh, this was the last game of this homestand for the Thunder and they got the season series sweep over Cleveland two games to none. And so they picked up another big win over a Cleveland team that's going to be pretty good in the Eastern Conference, of course. So like I said, they're pretty healthy. So the starters were, were awesome. It was SGA, Giddy, Dort, J-Dub, Chet. And then for Cleveland, it was Garland, Mitchell, uh, Max Struess, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. You know, you, you change Struess, I bet, for Okoro whenever he's healthy. But nonetheless, um, when, you, when you look at this Thunder team, it's impressive that we're going to start with Chet Holmgren on a, night where, uh, well, on a night where SGA dropped 43 points. But Chet Holmgren is an absolute problem. He had a big three to start the game. It was the second bucket of the night. And then... After that bucket, we saw a constant pattern of what we've seen all year long of teams defending Chet Holmgren, where they are just going out on hard closeouts and being super aggressive, running him off the line. And the thing is, while Allen was super aggressive, Chet Holmgren made him pay for that the entire night. 
Chet Holmgren could just swim past him for an easy layup. Chet Holmgren could take Jared Allen off the bounce and just embarrass him. I mean, he just he just absolutely embarrassed Jared Allen. There's no way for Jared Allen to defend him out there on the perimeter. It resulted in Jared Allen getting brought into the lane, and then Chet hits this Dirk fade where he somehow just cashes it in while he stumbled a little bit uh, in the post. Like, Chet Holmgren was just incredible. And, and the thing about Chet Holmgren is it ties back into our preseason assessment of this team there is not a great way to defend this team. There has not been a book out yet on how to defend the Thunder. And I was a bit surprised that the Cavs didn't do what I imagined that they would and, and like have Allen stay stay in the in, in the paint and, and, and kind of protect the rim more, have Mobley on Chet, and then you just kind of uh, live with, with Josh Giddy out there. They didn't do that a ton in this game. They used Allen on Chet and played it more traditional, more straight up. And uh, it did not work. It, it did not work at all. And so you saw Chet Holmgren again, able to beat Allen off the dribble multiple times. And so as he's beating Allen off the dribble and Allen is becoming a liability on that end of the floor, his teammates are shading over to help Allen on the drive off the dribble from Chet. But Chet is such a good playmaker that he just dishes it out to the wide open corner shooters. And that's going to work more often than not as you, as you see this Thunder roster take form and you see that unlike in years past and by years past, like the last decade and a half, uh, unlike then, there are lineups where you can get multiple shooters to where if you do try to shade over to somebody, the Thunder are going to have the ability to make you pay for it. And so Chet Holmgren's ability to, to play make as a passer, to score off the dribble, and to cash in threes on the catch and shoot, it just puts you in such an off-balance situation defensively that I, I don't know how you defend it. I don't know how you defend SGA. I, th- this team, whenever it is playing its like, 2 its identity, this team is a really tough guard for, for anyone in the, in the league. And we spend so much time worrying and obsessing about Chet Holmgren can't defend Joel Embiid. Chet Holmgren can't defend Nikola Jokic. And that's true. Nobody can in, in the league, though. There's also a lot of guys eight games into his career that can't defend him. And so it's a trade-off. Yes, he can't defend Embiid. Yes, he can't uh, d- defend Jokic. Uh, you know, you know it, it's going to happen against those matchups. Giannis, you know, whoever. But there's also going to be many matchups night in and night out because because not every team has a Jokic, not every team has an Embiid. So many nights there's going to be matchups like a like a Jared Allen who's just going to get cooked on, on the defensive end uh, because he cannot go out to the perimeter with Chet Holmgren. And if you try to send a, a smaller guy out there to keep up with him off the bounce, well, he can just shoot over the top of you uh, at seven one. So Chet was just awesome tonight, and. I think that one of his biggest attributes and one of his biggest traits tonight was something that the Thunder didn't necessarily highlight a ton was his ability that we've been pointing out all season long to find space and to find uh, the soft spot of the defense on these roles uh, and, and whenever he's you know, screening and rolling and uh, whenever he's just relocating because he's trying to get out of the way of the driver. Eventually, these guards and these ball handlers are good enough that eventually – as you see that more on film, as you as you kind of see his tendencies of, of how your teammates going to play these situations, eventually, I promise you, these teammates are going to hit Chet in those scenarios. Then his shot uh, volume, his shot uh, attempts are going to rise, which people are are clamoring for on Twitter. That's going to rise and take care of itself as you continue to see uh, on film the, the playmakers kind of what he likes to do. And then defensively, you just cannot talk enough about how good he is defensively. His ability to detour shots and uh, block shots 
in on the half court is awesome. He is the reason why that NBA 2K has the pogo stick badge because his second jump is, is just is just insane. He had a play where uh, he forces uh, you know a Mitchell drive comes in and he and he deters that shot at the rim. There's no shot Mitchell can score over the outstretched arms of of Chet and I and I thought live that he might have gotten a piece of the ball. I don't think he did looking at the replay, but you know, he, he had a great contest of a Mitchell drive and then Mobley gets the rebound and he just is able to shift back over to Mobley and block his shot and meet him, meet him at the rim. Like just, so he's able to leap up, contest Mitchell, get back to Mobley and block the shot. Now uh, the, the block kind of ricocheted to the Cavs and they still scored that possession, but that sequence is kind of how good he is as a shot blocker. And you can see it in transition. It is incredibly hard to get transition blocks, especially uh, whenever you're in that one-on-one scenario uh, or from behind. And Chet is able to do both of those things. And the, the thing about Chet is, yes, he's compromised defensively against Embiid and Jokic, so is everyone, but there's no there's no hunting him out or, or getting switches that are advantageous to you because you saw where a play had the, that the Cavs had where uh, they got the ball to Max Struess, who was wide open in the corner, and you're going to want to take away a corner three from Max Struess. So Chet closes out extremely hard and flies by Struess. Struess beats him off the dribble, of course, because of the hard closeout. But not only is, is Chet able to recover and get back to – uh, to kind of cut off Max Struess. Max Struess then is, is, of course, going baseline. He dumps it off to Evan Mobley, who's at the restricted area, dumps it off to him. So you're going from defending the baseline and, and kind of showing your body toward the basket to then flipping yourself to the opposing basket towards the restricted area, of course, and still getting the stop and still getting the block uh, of Evan Mobley. After Evan Mobley high points the pass from Struess, comes back down to the floor, and that was the mistake to give Chet enough time to just uh, flip and, uh, and and contest Evan Mobley and block the shot. And Evan did this little spinning uh, hook shot thing, that you know, push shot thing that just didn't work. But Chet stayed planted on fakes, which is a good thing that he does. And I, I just think that Chet overall is a serious problem, and you're seeing uh, the way that opposing players like Jermon Green talk about him as like he's going to, to be one of those players guys like one of the best in the league because we have to remember we're saying all this and he's playing so good that he's leading off a show where Shea scored 43 and he's played eight NBA games and he's played eight NBA games off of a serious injury like a critical injury uh the Liz Frank fracture to where this is just like a a, a pretty like a pretty baseline where it's like you would if he was if he was doing the opposite you wouldn't be freaking out you'd be you'd be wanting him to kind of get more adjusted and more used to uh, playing NBA basketball but this baseline is just insane for for what it sets the precedent for as he gets his sea legs under him and as he gets more comfortable uh on the floor it, it's really impressive and i think that you you saw uh the difference that Chet makes we we heard all training camp long about from Wiggins to Shea to Mark to, to every player we talked to in training camp, just when they were talking about Chet Holmgren, because of course, going to ask about Chet Holmgren. He's the highest pick of this rebuild. He's like the guy of this rebuild draft capital wise, uh, you know, in terms of reputation. And everyone was excited to kind of see what he can bring to the team. So they were asked about him all off season long. And now a couple games in asked about him again, but all the training camp long, it was completely evident to these players that he brings a different presence and just a different attitude and presence to this team and you see the presence on both ends of the floor because this is another game where 
a Chet Holmgren putback, which could not have happened on last year's roster. A Chet Holmgren putback is the exclamation point. It's the it's the put to put the kids to bed play for the Thunder to, to get this win. 15 points, seven rebounds, two assists, a steal, three blocks, four fouls. Uh, now, a couple things on the fouls. Rookie big men are going to foul a lot. That's just how it is. Big men in general are going to foul a lot. It's just how it is. But Chet acknowledged what what I've said before on this pod about him giving away fouls. Like there there are certain fouls where while you want to to provide effort and you want to provide uh you know resistance and try to stop every shot, that's absolutely a great mentality to have. You're not going to be able to. This is a this is a fantastic league with fantastic talent. So whenever you only get six fouls, you can't afford to give any of them away because you know there's going to be calls where like you're you're as a shot blocker, you're going to be trying to challenge a shot, and maybe you didn't do anything wrong, but there's just it's just in a live action, the refs are going to get calls wrong. So you're going to pick up fouls that way. So fighting for a, a, a quote-unquote meaningless rebound in the grand scheme of things and getting an over-the-back call, uh, you know, doing stuff to that degree is just avoidable fouls that can help you limit foul trouble. And Chet echoed what Mark has said about what Mark tells him whenever he gets in foul trouble. Don't, don't try to not foul. Try to compete. And, and I think that that was interesting that uh, I, I brought that up to Mark and I said, you know, how – how do you balance trusting the guys, you know, not not to continue to get in foul trouble versus, you know, what do you like what do you see in guys whenever you try to trust them? And, and he kind of he kind of corrected me in that way of like, don't use the verbiage of trusting them to not foul. It's trusting them to to compete hard. And if and if they do pick up a foul, uh, but it was in the in the kind of picture of competing, uh, that, that's kind of what they're looking for for these players to to continue to just play their way regardless of the whistle. And Chet does a really good job of that. Now, again, there's some some things to clean up. He's not perfect. He, he's got to clean up some of these sillier fouls uh, that, that he kind of just gives away to, to kind of negate or, or combat some of the ticky-tack fouls that you could get called for as a shot blocker. But in general, eight games in, there is there is no way that you cannot be super excited about what Chet can bring, and there's no way that you cannot see that he is a future all-star uh, talent and 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 if this is what he's doing right now, and, and we've already highlighted ways that the Thunder can continuously improve him based upon their play, much less his play, it's going to be a fun, fun, fun decade in Bricktown watching Chet Holmgren develop and watching Chet Holmgren play. Like This is going to be awesome. He is an absolute problem for OKC. We'll talk about SGA. We'll talk about the rest of this roster all coming up. But first, let's say right now, pretty good friends over at eBay Motors. So, Folks, our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you the best fantasy picks each week, all season long. Whether you're preparing for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster, just like eBay's guaranteed fit. It's the eBay guaranteed fit fantasy players and picks of the week from Josh Lloyd. So here are the players on Josh Lloyd's lineup. You have Brandon Miller. Dylan Brooks, Bismack Biombo, Denny Avdia, and Jordan Hawkins. I, you know, we saw the Pelicans come to town uh, last week. I like Jordan Hawkins of of a guy who has unabashed confidence, and it's going to result in maybe a bad or shot or two a night. But ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, for a rookie to be able to to try to fill it up as much as he does, and it seems like the Pelicans are going to really have him as a staple of their uh, rotation especially in a fantasy's perspective, I would pick up Jordan Hawkins if, if you are able to in your league, especially as a Pelicans deal with an area of injuries. Uh, so shooting will be a huge appeal to your team and be a huge addition to your team if you add Jordan Hawkins there. 
for fantasy basketball. Those are the fantasy picks, the guaranteed fits from Josh Lloyd. And check out Locked on Fantasy Basketball anywhere you get your podcast from because those are going to be the perfect fits for your team, just like eBay Motors has the perfect fit for your ride. Look, there, you know, whenever issues pop up with your vehicle, I'll be the first to admit, I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I am a novice. I, I'm worse than a novice. I have no idea even about windshield wipers, which ones I should buy for my vehicle. That's why I use eBay Motors because they're going to give you this little green check that says, yep, it, once you put in your car information of like what kind of car you drive, what kind of year it is, they're going to match you with the guaranteed parts to fit. So yeah, that way you don't guess or, or, or don't have to try to try to read a manual or fix it, figure it out yourself. You just put in your, your make, your model, your year, and they only show you parts that can guaranteed fit in your ride. So it's, it's great uh, to make things easier if you're fixing up a car, uh, if you're just trying to do some little low, low maintenance work, high maintenance work, whatever you're trying to do to your car, you should go to eBay Motors. They have the guarantee fit available for U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions do apply. But check them out today uh, to keep your ride or die car alive at ebaymotors.com. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you, talking Thunder basketball. SGA had a what-do-you-doing kind of night. Uh, what-do-you-do kind of night for the Thunder? Like, it has to be in, so incredibly frustrating to play SGA because there was nothing inherently wrong with how the Cavs were defending SGA. He's just better than you are. He's better than your defense. He's better than than you at getting to his spots. And uh, Shea mentioned after the game that like the, the key is having multiple spots to get to. So like it, it, you can be good at getting to your spots, but if they know where that spot is that you want to get to, it's easier for them to defend. If you have multiple spots to get to, it's of course harder to defend. And you can see that. What I thought was different about tonight's game for Shea was I thought that he was bringing the physicality to the defense. Uh, he acknowledged a couple games ago that the NBA is letting defenders play more physical in his eyes than they were uh, last year. And I thought he did a great job of setting the tone and bringing that physicality first because when the driver, and we know that that's what Shea kind of makes his bread and butter on is driving to the basket. When the driver initiates contact, it forces the defender to just get out of position and frees up that little scoring window, little scoring lane at the rim to get the shot off. We talk a lot about passing windows of like, you, know, you had to pass at the perfect time to fit it through the defense. It's also the same thing whenever you're shooting at the rim. You have to figure out how to generate enough space, enough of a window to get the shot off at the rim. And he did a great job tonight of getting to the rim and also uh, bringing the physicality first, landing the first punch uh, of, of the initial contact at the rim. Uh, he is elite, like elite at rejecting the screen. And part of that comes from his acceleration and deceleration, how great he is at that. Because the Thunder, they use so many screens. Like every possession, there are screens. And so eventually, defenses, of course, and, and at this point, it's like just in the scout where they're just doing it. And, 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 and when you see the scout, I mean, there, there is just every player listed because they know every player is a screener and a ball handler. Every player is listed, and then they have beside it how they want to defend that player. You know, if you want to ice them, if you want to, you know, what do you, whatever you want to do to them on the screens, whenever they receive screens and, and give the screens, you want to drop, whatever you want to do. And so it, it's fascinating to see. The Thunder just screens so much that it's expected and, you, and you're gearing up to defend it. But the reason that SGA is so elite when, when handling screens is because of his rejection. Whenever you set the teams up with screen, 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 and you're worried about 
hedging on the screen. You're worried about uh, picking Shea up off of the screen, blitzing Shea, uh, trying to take the ball from Shea. As they start to shift into position and shift into that hedge or shift into that show, Shea is able to just accelerate, blow by the screen, not even use the screen, but you've already adjusted to the screen. So it, it's great to see uh, what Shea can do and, and kind of use the tendencies of the Thunder to his advantage. You know, it, it's great for SGA and for the center team in general. Uh, so you kind of, it, it keeps you off balance and keeps you uh, kind of allowing you to, to continue to be a screen heavy team because, you know, rejecting the screen is kind of tough to do uh, because you're, if you're not going to play level with the screen and you try to reject the screen, the defender can just easily cut you off. Whereas with Shea, you have to play kind of level with the screen to pick him up immediately. And so he's able to just blow by you with that speed that he has. Uh, and, Defending Shea, you never really know what speed he does have because he, of course, has that high end speed, uh, you know, of getting downhill. But he can also methodically get to the rim, uh, which he likes to do as well. So it's just a, it's a tough, tough cover for for other teams. He had the steal and the slam, which was always a fun time. But the big thing here is he had a 15 point first quarter and a 15 point third quarter, and in between he had an eight point quarter and a five point quarter. Like he's awesome. Like he, he is just awesome and the you you saw too the reason the thunder have leaned into this everyone's a playmaker model is because when the Cavs started to double team him and try to get the ball out of his hands he was able to make the pass to, to a player uh you know many of players make the pass and whoever he passes it to they're not just immediately looking to return it back to Shea how many times are you watching Luca are you watching you know these other stars that they're not playing with four other playmakers to where whenever they do pass out of a double team, the recipient of the pass is kind of just sitting there waiting for another handoff to Luca to try to free him up and, and try to get him another go at it uh, after he gets doubled and has to pick up his dribble. Whereas with the Thunder, that playmaker is now going to get the ball off of Shea's double, and now you're playing four on three, and you're able to, to go have the advantage when they double-team Shea. So it adds another dimension of, well, can you even double-team Shea? Like, what is the answer for defending Shea. The answer is you hope that his shots aren't going in and you hope that he's just missing because there's not much you can do about it. Uh, but eventually he did start getting the whistle tonight. Now it was a tough go of it at first. I mean, there, there was even this huge demonstrative uh, jumping up and down, pleading with the reps early on in this game. Like that is so abnormal from Shea. I mean, other players do it do it nonstop, 82 games. Shea jumping up and down at the refs, I think, sent the set the tone of the message from Shea, and he started getting calls after that. Uh, and he had, I mean, in the first half, he had three free throw attempts and still had 25 points. Now, he ends the game with 13 free throw attempts, so that was 10 free throw attempts in the second half. Uh, that was great from him. But I wonder if we start to see it turn, because every year we see these refs come into a game with a strict point of emphasis, and then around the uh, middle of November, of, uh, November eh, all of a sudden it's out the window and we've reverted back to our way of play. So I'm interested to see how that unfolds in Sacramento on the road on Friday. We'll talk more about that on tomorrow's podcast. But tonight, SGA, 43.7 rebounds, six assists, two steals and a block. Uh, he was seen uh, grimacing and kind of squatting down during free throws. It was, it was kind of awkward because... He was like limping during free throws, and 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 sometimes he wouldn't even go down to the end of the you know of of where the free throws were happening. He was just kind of squatting there and just uh, really like ah, like wincing. But then when the free throws were over and and then the the ball was in play, he looked perfectly 
fine. He looked, he looked great. He looked normal. He obviously scored 43 freaking points. So I don't really know. I don't really know if there's anything. It was just like a, kind of an interesting anecdote of, of what you see whenever you're there. So we'll see what happens with Shea. Of course, he dealt with that knee hyperextension last week. Uh, we'll see what it looks like here uh, you know, on the injury report tonight. But I, I think it's going to be fine uh, with SGA because of how how he didn't have it bothering him <laughs> during the course of play. Uh, but anyway, Casey Wallace was awesome tonight. Uh, after the game, my good friend, my good pal, Derek Parker, inside the thunder.com, uh, draftdigest.com, dparkok okay, on YouTube and on Twitter, uh, was talking to Mark. And, and of course, he, he, he also runs Draft Digest, so he kind of has the, the rookie angle covered. And uh, he said the line, like, you know, what do you think of Kaysen's big night? And Mark said, what big night? And I don't, I don't highlight that to like to, to do anything bad about Derek's question. I thought Derek had a good question, but it highlights what we picked up on this show where, where you and I, the listener, were talking back and forth about Kaysen in training camp. You know, it was so interesting to hear that the way they talked about Kaysen was not coach speaky, was not just, oh, I got asked about Kaysen, let me just say a line or two of a, just a generic line, but it was genuine praise of Kaysen Wallace from even SGA saying that he can play right away and he can be an impact player right away to Kenny hustle, making the same call he made about J dub to Wiggins, to, to every, to chat, to everybody on the roster that we got to talk to throughout training camp, which, which was everybody praising uh case Wallace, including Mark and Mark typically uh, will give you an answer about a player and then try to limit your expectations and try to kind of temper things as, as a form of like protecting his players. I feel like of just like of, of protecting what you're supposed to expect from them. Uh, so even he in training camp before Kaysen played a single minute of NBA basketball preseason or, or even regular season, uh, even he was very obviously uh, swooning for what Kaysen Wallace can do. And, and this is a Mark kind of player, uh, the, the defense, uh, the, the, the versatility on both ends. This is a Mark kind of player. And so I believe that like, that wasn't just a joke to like kind of have a lighthearted moment with DP. That was just a, like, this is just what they expect. This is just, this is just what they, what they know that they can get from Case and Wallace and who they think that he just is, which is insane to say about a 20 year old, but off the bench, you know, 14 points, three rebounds, two assists. He was awesome. Two for two in the corner. Uh, and then he missed one corner. He missed one three in this game. But so far this year, he is shooting 67% on corner threes. And he starts this game out two for two from that spot. He had a self-creation step back mid-range shot. So in this entire game, he missed two shots. He missed a three and he missed a, a rather out of control drive where there's like 10 seconds left on the shot clock. I, I wonder if he thought that the shot clock was lower than, than 10, but there's about 10 seconds left. And I think he was like aiming to get the foul, but he just didn't get the whistle. Uh, so like that, you know, he missed two shots all night. He is such an efficient screener on the guard to guard screens because of how hard he cuts. And the, the threat of like, he won't slip at this time. He'll pop to three, but he usually always does slip and go to the rim really hard. And so that allows the thunder, you know, to use him uh, and, and to get get him at the rim for an easy layup and the patience he has at the rim to pump fake and to, and to let the defense settle before just rushing the shot and allows him to score efficiently as well. But, but to put it in perspective, how like how special he is for a rookie having a run of defending clay, Steph, Trey, Donovan Mitchell without getting embarrassed. That's special stuff. That's special stuff from a rookie defender while also performing in his role on the offensive end. His confidence is there. It's more of a quiet confidence, 
But but he, as he said, you cannot teach dog, and he has that dog in him. Uh, it's it's more of a, a quiet confidence of like he's not going to be demonstrative. He's not going to say a ton in the interviews, but it's there, and, and and he knows what he's doing on the floor. Fourteen points, three boards, two assists, two for three from three, and only missed one shot inside the arc. Lou Dort, Lou Dort's just different, and, and I truly believe that this is who Lou Dort is now. I asked him after the game about this role that he's found himself in because he and me at media they said he wanted to be more efficient. So I asked him kind of like, how have you done it? And he, he just said that he's, he'd been watching film and he saw the crazy shots and he even highlighted how, what I said yesterday about how he used to drive into five guys at the rim and it was never good. Uh, but he, he saw that on film and he, and he made the adjustments from there and, and, and kind of wanted to, to shift. And the mindset has shifted for Lou Dort away from taking those bad shots. And he's never had a streak like this. I mean, he's never had a streak like this of, of his shot and he's not going to shoot 50% from three. And I, but I don't even care about the percentages. I, I do full-heartedly believe that he will end the season as an above-average three-point shooter in the league, which is going to come purely by his shot diet and, and taking good shots. But it's obviously not going to be 50% and doesn't have to be. It's more so the 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 way and the process of, of when he's electing to shoot uh, and when he's electing to do it. And the reason I believe that this is fully shifted is not only from, from what Marcus said about him to what he said about himself – but also because we've seen we've seen it already. Like there there are not many variables left to do. We've seen him play with no Shea, where where in years past he'd feel like he was next in line to step up as as the aggressive uh, shot taker. We've seen him play where of the starting five, Giddy and Jada were not good offensively, and that leaves you of course just Shea, Chet, and Dub. I mean, I'm sorry, Shea, Chet, and Dort. And Dort didn't play outside of himself. We've seen him play where guys are cooking, and and so like he lets them cook. We've seen him play where he starts out four for four from three and is hitting these sidestep threes, but he doesn't let that spiral into these abhorrent heat checks or terrible drops. So like we've seen a, pretty much all the equations and all of them lead back to this really efficient, different role. And so that's why I believe that like, this is going to be different. And this is what we have been saying on the show where everyone wants to kind of eject Ocedo Dort last year that, let him play with this developed roster and you can see a role for him where he's going to be really good. He's never shot below 40% on corner threes since his rookie season. Let him do it. Like let him, let him play in this environment. And if he still doesn't do it then, okay, then it's time for a very serious conversation. But to this point he has corrected and, and fixed the issue. And that's really great. And he put Donovan Mitchell in jail and he had three blocks, two steals, he was a catalyst for getting a couple 24-second calls, a five-second call late in the game for a botched inbound, 14 points, four rebounds, three assists. Like Lou Dort has been really, really good. Uh, and another benefit, too, is that he mentioned uh, that, that you have a group chat with like uh, film that they put in there of clips of guys they're going to go up against, and that really helps mentor and lead Case and Wallace, who, who's trying to fit in that mold of a, a high, high, high-end defender in the league. Uh, and of course, I think the case will be way more advanced offensively than Dort is, and he can play a bigger role offensively than Dort can uh, just in his career, no matter where he ends up, uh, you know, no matter what the scenario or environment is around either player, just offensively, he's more skilled than Dort. But Dort can really help him become one of these high-end point-of-attack guys. Coming up, let's talk about Josh Giddy getting benched, Davis Bertans getting some minutes and more. But first, I want to say right now, we're good friends over at Jace Medical. So Jace Medical is sponsoring today's show. And 
What Jace Medical is, is you can order the Jace case. And so the Jace case is able to give you, um, you know, these five life-saving antibiotics to give you that peace of mind that like you are prepared for, for anything that could happen and, and you can and will uh, care for your loved ones uh, during the unexpected times. Uh, and of course, it's just always good to have these, these peace of mind of if anything pops up, like in the middle of the night, for example, and you just got to jump into action, you can have the Jace case uh, available for you with five life-saving antibiotics for emergency uses uh, for you and your family. Uh, so it's pretty simple. All it takes for the Jace case is to fill out the simple online uh, form. Uh, and then in some cases, you jump on a quick call with their board of certified physicians and then you have this ongoing care from those physicians for any treatment-related questions. It is doctor-created and doctor-recommended from uh, Jace Case, so make sure you check them out today at Jace Medical. Uh, so you cannot, uh, you can avoid being unprepared, and you can empower yourself to care for you and your loved ones during anything that might pop up. And so Jace Case handles everything from the online evaluations to licensed uh, physicians and licensed pharmacy medication delivery with ongoing consults and ongoing care for you. Uh, so check it out today at jacemedical.com. That's jacemedical.com. Use code locked on for $20 off at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you. Talking Thunder Basketball. Folks, Josh Giddy got benched. I don't know why that this is like a massive story in the sense of we already knew this. Like we already knew Mark was not scared to bench him. He benched Josh Giddy last year when he didn't have as many good options as he has right now at that position. Like this is not a curveball. This is not a new revelation. Mark has benched Giddy before. He's benched Lou Dort before. He's benched guys before to ride the hot hand. Tonight was no different. Uh, you know, Josh Giddy got benched. Josh Giddy started slow last year. Josh Giddy also had incredibly high, uh, incredibly highs last year, like the playing game against the Pelicans. You know, like that stretch in December where he, where he played like a rising star and he played like an all star uh, for that for that stretch in December. I think that we are overreacting to Josh Giddy's start. I think that we're overreacting to the Thunder right now. Like, this is fun. It's the best job in the world. It is it is awesome to cover this team and to uh, talk about the Thunder. But we also we are also eight games in, and the goal this year is to not win a championship. Like like, like the goal this year is not a championship. The goal this year is continued development and getting to a point where you can assess this roster. And you can't assess this roster on eight games. And so for the bad sample size that you can point out of these eight games the bad sample size you can point out at the start of last year. There's also sample sizes of him performing well in high state games, like that play in game against new Orleans, like that stretch in December, January, which was, which was the catalyst to get the thunder to the plane. Cause remember the thunder as a whole stumbled out of the gates. Sam Presti admits himself. The thunder had two good months all year long. And, and, and that's why they ended up below 500, but that's how they got into the play in. Whereas like at the end of the season too, it wasn't as though the thunder were just like, Massively clicking, they dropped games to the Pistons. They dropped games to the to the Hornets. They dropped games uh, to to Indiana whenever Indiana was was folding it in. They, they dropped these games where they should have won down the stretch. So we've seen it all from Josh Giddy, and we've also seen that he's a notorious slow starter. Now, at the end of the season, 
know, there's going to be conversations, of course, about how to build this roster, what the next steps are, what this team needs to add, what this team needs to do. But I think here and now, it's a bit of an, of an overreaction. And I think that, like, to be shocked or to be stunned with, with Mark benching Josh Giddy is a bit silly because, as I've been saying all offseason long, Thunder have the benefit of this depth and the benefit of a coach who will use the depth. Most coaches get stuck in their way and they want to just use their same guys no matter the situation, no matter the circumstances. Mark is not afraid to play 10, 11, 12, 15 guys a night to where if Josh or Lou or any of these guys don't have it, they're not going to play. And you can find people who do who, who can play that night and who do have it that night. And that's why I think the Thunder will be so successful in the regular season. I find it hard to believe that most nights you can't find guys who have it because this talent the roster is so talent rich. Uh, if it's not Josh, then it's going to be someone else. If it's not Dub, it's going to be somebody else. You know, it's going to be somebody to step up. And so, yes, he got benched. Yes, he's playing very bad right now uh, in the sense of like the, the results. But I thought the last two games, the decision-making was there. The decision-making was better. The process was better. The shots aren't going in. Now, whenever you are playing bad for the last, let's see, what, what is eight minus two, folks, six. You're playing bad for the last six games. And then the last two games, you had a really good process but didn't score the ball well. It feels like it's all just piling on and, and condensing you know, against you. And you can see some of that frustration from him on the court. But I think that in general, the last two nights were were a more so product of the shots didn't fall into the rim and they kind of rimmed out versus he's just a terrible player who can't really do anything and can't you know thrive in the NBA. But the good thing about the Thunder is they have guys who who can fill in for Josh Giddy, Jason Wallace, Isaiah Joe. There's going to be a night where uh, Isaiah Joe, who didn't particularly shoot the ball well tonight, by the way, but he did other things very well. Credit to Isaiah Joe. But there's going to be nights where Isaiah Joe doesn't have it and where a rookie case doesn't have it, but Josh Giddy is working very well. It's going to be trade-offs. And it goes back to the overreaction portion of, you know, right now is the heightened portion of when fans are going to be watching the games, if Bali Sports actually works, uh, for, for the start of the season. And you're living and dying with every single bucket, every single play. Whereas, like, if we had a larger sample size, let's say that Josh started out with a blazing anomaly, like 10 game stretch where he's just fantastic. And then in January, he played like this for eight games. It would not even be remotely close to as big of a deal. So it's, it's kind of like picking your spot. Same thing with Isaiah Joe of like Isaiah Joe has started out shooting the ball, uh, you know, slower than he did last year. But last year he also had a month where he shot, you know, terribly from three for his standards of like as a sharpshooter, of course, not like terribly uh, in the grand scheme of things. But since it was hidden and you had a larger sample size, that's how averages work. He still averaged incredible from three last year uh, for, for the Thunder and was great for OKC. But but he had he had those months where he dipped. Like, for example, with Isaiah Joe, 60% from three in October, 41% from three in November. And then he started clicking 45%, 43%, 47% uh, the next three months. And then 51% in February. In March, he shot 31%. But like that March stretch where it was where it was 17 games where he shot 31% was masqueraded by the 70, 40, no, I mean sorry, by the 60, 40, 45, 43, 47, 40, right? It was it was in between there. So let's just let this play out a little bit. I am I am not saying that Josh is playing perfect or he's playing great or that he shouldn't be questioned. 
I'm just saying, let's let it play out just a little bit more before we start saying stuff like, oh, he's terrible. Oh, they've got to move on from him. If you believe he's terrible, by the way, if you believe he's just awful and not a good player, and you and you also believe they should trade him, who's going to give up anything for a terrible player? Like, like it can't be both things of like he's terrible, but then go trade him for an incredible player. So let's just relax and let this play out. Now, end of the season wise, after we have an 82 game stretch of of data and how this team plays with and without Josh Giddy and and how these young players progressed, how he progressed or didn't progress we can start to have a different conversation of, uh, of what to do. But in that course of those 82 games, you're also going to see the Thunder make adjustments. And the adjustments are not going to come from trading Josh Giddy or making earth-shattering moves. I do not expect the Thunder within the course of these 82 games uh, you know, to make anything even remotely close to a noteworthy uh, trade. I would expect them to make adjustments in-house of like, you might start to see Josh Giddy start, but he comes out at the two, you know, two or three minutes into the into the first, and then he gets to run the show for the second unit, which helps maximize his game and helps maximize the bench and helps maximize everyone involved to put him in a better spot to succeed. So, like after an 82 game season with a head coach who is going to work and going to try to find ways to maximize his talent, if it still is not maximized, then we're going to spend all summer long talking about Josh Giddy, talking about. Uh, the roster, talking about how to improve it, talking about whatever drama pops up in the offseason of of stars demanding a trade, which is going to happen every year in the NBA. Uh, talking about the draft, of course, where the Thunder are going to own a billion draft picks. But let's not do it after eight games. Let's not do it after eight games and make these rash decisions off of it. So the Thunder did play Dallas Bertans in this game. They did a great job of, of finding matchups for him uh, to, to, to benefit him of trading off how bad he is defensively, but wanting to steal some minutes. Uh, they did a great job for him at the beginning of matching him with Dean Wade because Dean Wade is a more stationary player at the three-point line, and that's by design because because Davis, uh, despite his best efforts, and you have to give him credit, he's not a bad defender because he doesn't, he doesn't try. He tries his butt off, but he's just not good at defense. And so um, it was a great idea to try to steal some minutes. He just so happened to not shoot the ball well from three. Davis didn't. And then Cleveland started putting him in actions where they just could expose him. I mean, even Niang went through his chest in this game. Uh, but he tries on D-man, and, and and you saw it on the inbound deflection where he's just jumping up and down and, and, and trying his hardest to go crazy and get the deflection and did. And, and he goes out there and gets the transition bucket for OKC. But ultimately, it's bad defensively. And, and whenever you're trying to steal four or five minutes from him, if, he, if he's also not lighting up from three, it's just kind of eh, minutes at best and below average minutes at worst. Uh, where you see kind of the process here, right? If you ask yourself uh, during these games, why isn't Davis playing? Well, look at the floor, right? Look at who is playing and not who's playing for the Thunder. Look who's playing for the other team. Is there a Davis Bertans guy that just kind of stands there? I, I, I mean, Dean Wade kind of guy who just kind of stands there because each game that Davis has played for OKC, he's shared the floor with a counterpart who just stands there who just stands there and, and doesn't really do anything uh, movement-wise to where it makes it so much easier to to hide him defensively. Uh, you saw it against the Pistons, you know, whenever he got those 12 minutes uh, against the Pistons. Like, they they had um, Joe Harris, I believe it was, that was just his matchup, and and, and he just kind of sat there at the three-point line and, and waited for his chance. Yeah, Joe Harris uh, had 10 minutes, and they kind of mirrored each other, where Joe Harris was just kind of stationary, waiting for a kickout 
Well, if that's all you're going to do, then even Davis, who's who's a known bad defender, he can do that. He can just stand there in the corner and, and put his arms up as a, as a big man and contest a three-point shot. And so you've got to find matchups that can work for him uh, on that end of the floor. Now, other teams can start to bring him into action and pick on him, which they tried to do against Cleveland today. But in general, you have to applaud his uh, professionalism and his non-wavering confidence. And I asked Mark about why he played Davis in this game. You know, kind of if it was something that he saw in the matchups. And he used that to kind of spin off and riff on giving credit to all the guys who aren't playing right now for the work that we don't see that they put in uh, to, to, to stay prepared. And he said that he used kind of Davis as like a, like an example, so to say, of like your number is going to get called, but you better be ready when it is. And he knew that Davis would be ready and would, would play his butt off and would, and would, even after getting a huge string of DNPs, would actually uh, give high-level effort and give everything he had. And so like that's an example to the young guys who aren't playing right now. Trey, Poku, like all these guys who aren't playing right now. It's an example of, hey, this is a, this is a NBA vet who's played on many a teams and, he, and he's played in many a different roles and – many organizations and he is staying prepared and he is staying ready. And I, I just love the professionalism from Davis Bertans. I mean, and it's great to see, especially after, you know, some whispers in the off season from other, from other you know teams of, of what to expect in this scenario. And it's awesome to see his professionalism too, because I think that at times we forget that like these players are human in the sense of if we know something, they know something. Like if, if, if we know the Thunder are a, a roster that is designed to not play Bertans, he knows that too. He knows that the Thunder are not going to play him, uh, and they're going to force him to miss at least you know twenty something games to to make sure he doesn't hit that that seventy five percent mark. To where to not let that affect how you play whenever you do get a chance to play, or how you show up to work, or how you or how you are a teammate is great. Like Trey Man, Bertans, whenever you whenever you're watching them at practice and shoot around and in games, they are such great teammates. Whenever some guys would would be jaded a little bit by not playing. And then these guys are great. So, so they, they do deserve a, a little round of applause for, for that. Uh, J-Dub also deserves a round of, round of applause. My biggest takeaway from J-Dub's game today was that he is so good at playing independent of a box score and a stat sheet. Like even as a guy who, who loves the press clippings and loves the social media stuff, he goes one for four in the first half. And instead of like pressing or hunting a shot or wanting to fix it or pouting or whatever, in the second half, he goes four for six. He plays his style of basketball no matter what's happening. You saw that in the first Cleveland game where he was bad for three quarters offensively, outright bad. In the fourth quarter, he turned it on and helped the Thunder win and helped the Thunder get that comeback. So his ability to just fight through stuff like that is impressive for a second-year guy. 15 points, four rebounds, two assists, a steal, 50% shooting, one for one from three, four for four from the line. I thought that Jang played well. Uh, Jay Will, Joe played well as well. Uh, the Thunder, just as a quick note, have to start the quarters better. And they do deserve credit for learning from, from last Wednesday against the Pelicans. Since that game where they blew that 22-point lead and lost, they've had two more big leads, and they've won both of them while staving off a comeback. So it's great to see that course correction. Uh, but tomorrow, we're going to do your mailbag podcast. Saturday, we're going to do a Kings recap. Monday, a Suns recap. And we'll just continue to roll along here on Locked on Thunder. Make sure you subscribe anywhere you get your podcast from, including on YouTube. And until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another.